Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Fiverr New Podcast. This episode is all about working in the automotive space. We caught up with Michael Carter of Fiverr New Loudon in the DC area. We talked about a lot of things in this episode. Michael discusses the importance of talking to the right people at dealerships when you're approaching them to do work. He talks about how he would basically talk until he was blue in the face or visiting some dealerships up to 10 times until he realized work from them. Sometimes it would take a year. Sometimes it was all about a matter of timing and getting work from dealerships. He's 16 years into his business, but he talks about how, by and large, the work he gets now is the same process as the work he got back at the very beginning when he started in 2001. He talks about the concept of walking the lot and how he does this every day, every week, every month, and every year, and that's how he gets the bulk of his work. When he started out back in 2001, he would visit three to five dealers every day, day in and day out. By the end of the first year, he had 10 dealerships that he was doing regular work for. By the end of the second year, that had doubled to 20, and it just grew from there. We talk about how he handles rebuttals on pricing objections and dealing with competitors. To get around that, he touts our system and the quality of our products, the third-party testing we have in place, and he finds that that makes it a lot easier to differentiate us from the competition. We spend a good chunk of time talking about wholesale pricing versus retail pricing and how it's all about volume for dealership work. We talk about weather conditions and how basically nothing stops them. And he sums everything up by saying that working in the automotive space takes having a happy frame of mind and a hard shell. He says you got to have persistence in working with automotive dealerships and you're going to hear a lot of no's before you get to a yes but it's worth it and it will pay off. So without further ado, let's hop into the episode. Hope you enjoy. Cheers. Thank you very much for taking some time to join us on this podcast, Michael. Um, Let's start first with just a little bit about you and your business, your history in Fibernew, and um, just the ins and outs of Fibernew Loudon, if you don't mind. Well, sure. Well, we started uh, 16 years ago. My kids were one, three, and five. When I say we, my partner is Diana, who is also my wife, and she is our bookkeeper, and uh, she does that. Uh, Both of my boys have worked with me off and on at different times, usually when they need money, but uh, (laughs) yeah, it's just... They're both being in college, uh, you know, they come home for breaks. But they they both actually have part-time jobs, but every once in a while when they need some more money, they'll help out. Um, but um, we are uh, basically about 80, 75 to 80% of our revenue stream is from the automotive industry. But there's not much that we haven't tried to do in our 16 years Um and the reason it's actually gone down to that percentage in the last two years, we've concentrated on reducing our our automotive uh, schedule, so to speak, and uh, open up some other revenues. We've gotten into more of the medical uh, arena the last two years. We've always done furniture as well, but most of that is either residential or warranty companies only. I don't really do a lot of uh, furniture store work. I have one very large furniture store in my area that we do work for. Um, we've done numerous executive jets. Uh, we've also done restaurant booths and bar stools and ophthalmologist chairs and just about, like I said, anything that boats, anything I get my, my hands into, we've tried. <laughs> yeah. But we, okay. we still, most of, most of our work comes from automotive dealerships. Okay. It's remarkable that you said automotive work is is down to seventy five percent now. Um, that, that, that's that's incredible. Um, yeah, yeah. Let, let's uh, maybe just dissect that that seventy five percent in terms of working with dealers, uh, working with uh, direct consumer retail work, and then warranty mm-hmm. company. Um, okay. How does that look in, inside of that seventy five percent? I mean, how would we split that up? 
that's an, an easy 50% of it is dealerships. They they're, have um, sort of been our mainstay from the get-go. I have a, just happen to have a very large automotive market um, in, in my territory. Uh, being right outside of Washington, D.C., uh, it's a very, very mobile area, a lot of commuting. Uh, so there's a lot of turnover in the car industry because of just the mileage a lot of people put on their vehicles annually getting back and forth to Washington. Makes sense. So, yeah, we do about 50% of our work just for the car dealerships. And then <clears throat> uh, probably I would break it out as probably 10% in the uh, residential area and 10% in the warranty companies. And the leftover, okay. leftover stuff is actually um, uh, collision centers, auto body shops. Got it. As a matter of fact, I just left one. They have a, a door panel that they couldn't find a replacement for that wasn't going to cost them the, you know, their business. So they had us fix it instead of having it replaced. There's a lot of work on door panels and dashes in the okay. body shops. Of the dealerships, are we talking a mix of new and used? How does that look? Mostly, actually, I work for, I'd say it's not mostly, I will tell you, I work for brand name dealerships. Uh, Chevy, Dodge, Ford, Chrysler, BMW, Mercedes, Rolls Royce, sure. Lamborghini, uh, and almost all of those brand names carry a used car department. Right. So that, that's how it breaks out for me. Is that uh, I mean I I don't normally work for what I I term this is a Michael term an independent or a small independent used car lot uh, or a used car dealership. Um, you know, Johnny's used cars or whatever. Most of the time, their budget isn't in a place where they could, you know, basically afford the work that we can give them. We could certainly do the repairs for 25 bucks if we wanted to, but it's just not profitable for us to go into those smaller stores. So we okay. do most all, all our work is done strictly with uh, brand name dealerships. And okay, so. well come come back to pricing in in a minute because I, I want to explore that with you as well. But let's first okay. talk about let's first talk about how you built up the relationships with with all of those dealerships. Um, what are some of the things that you've done over the years to to get your foot in the door, so to speak? I, I, I talked to them blue in the face until I couldn't stand it anymore and I said yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. And in actuality, it's really not far from the truth. Um, okay. You have, you have just, for us, it was just, uh, well, of course, let's go back one step further than that. For me, there's certain motivation there, uh, and it's probably mostly self-motivated because I, I'm, I'm not a person that can sit still very well and for a long period of time, and that's why I didn't do well in the behind-the-desk arena, so to speak, of corporate America. Um, mm-hmm. And I had some background in customer service as well as sales, so talking to people is something that comes rather easily to me, so that makes it easier for me to to sell our, ourselves and our business. But in, in all honesty, I did it, if you call it the old-fashioned way or whatever way, I went door-to-door. When we started our business in 2001, I went to every dealership in my territory almost over and over and over until they finally did say yes. Um, there are certain fortunate breaks that happened. I walked into one dealership. I think I'd been on the street for maybe two weeks. And... It was in November, I think, or October, and um, they had uh, another company was in doing a repair, and for whatever reason, the person just up and left, didn't finish the repair, and walked away. And I okay. walked in an hour later. <laughs> I walked in an hour later, and the guy says, "You're my new interior guy." I said, "Okay, <laughs> this is easy. This is fun." <laughs> and then. You know, there's a story that I went to a Volvo dealership, and I went to the you know used car salesman, and I introduced myself, and we chatted, and he said, well, thanks, I've got your card. I don't need anything right now. Fine. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I went back, same scenario, 
couple weeks later, I went back. This went off for about three or four months. Then he finally said, you know, I appreciate your consistency and your resiliency and so on and so forth, but I have another vendor I'm using. (laughs) And I guess he either thought I was going to figure that out on my own and stop coming or until he finally told me. So almost a year later, I get a phone call from that used car manager. And he says, Mike, are you still doing interior work with Fiber now? And I said, yes, I am. He said, my guy has been gone. I haven't seen him in two months. I need some cars fixed for delivery. Can you come and do some work for me? And I said, absolutely. And I've been there for 13 years. Wow. Fantastic. Not only that, but they've opened two other stores and automatically sucked me into the guy. two stores. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Fantastic. Uh, How many times do you think you went back there in, in that first cycle? You said, I was really – I would estimate I probably went back 10 times, easy. 10 times, every, so every week, 10, 10 weeks in a row. Not every week, no, no, because that, oh. that, also, that also gets to the point where then they get obstinate because you're, they feel like you're, sure. you're beating the drum too much. So, but over, course yeah. Of, yeah, over about four to six months, I went back probably 10 or 12 times. Okay. So you got wow. both sides of the coin with that, but that's, that's how I built – how we built our business, and, and that was strictly going. Now, even to go back a little bit, before we actually started our business, I went out and made up a, you know, a little five-questionnaire type of thing, and I went to all kinds of businesses in my area, projected area, to find out if anybody would use our service. Car dealerships, furniture stores, I don't even remember now so long ago where I all went. And so I had kind of an idea of who would say yes and would say no. And some of them says we're using somebody. Someone says, yeah, we probably would. Someone says, you know, we are using somebody else, but it wouldn't be averted to having new, you know, vendors, so on and so forth. So I said, okay. So I had some, a little bit of a, a source to go back to and start on when, I, when we did actually sign into the five-day, you know, contract and so on and so forth. So I had some immediate... I had done some networking before I left UPS to start the franchise. Right. And uh, one of those was, as I mentioned, this furniture store that we do their work for. Um, I had gone into the customer service manager, and she she had said, yeah, I guess we probably could do that. I don't know if we do that or not right now, but I think we could. So as soon as we signed up, I got back from training. She was one of the first ones I went to. I said, hi, I'm Mike Carter with Fiber. I don't know if you remember I talked about that. And all of a sudden, it kind of, the light bulb went on in her face. I could see. She said, well, yeah. And she said, well, I'll tell you what. Let me call my warehouse manager. We'll figure out if, you know, that's something that we need. And uh, I'll let you go. I'll let you know. And I said, okay, that's great. A couple of weeks later, she called and says, can you come in and do a piece of furniture in the warehouse? I said, sure. Then it got to the point where we realized uh, that they needed that, not that they realized, they said, we, because you're a mobile service, would you be willing to go to our customers' homes? I said, ah, no, nah, that's not my way. <laughs> right. No, thanks. I just want to do the work in a warehouse. <laughs> of course, I said, yeah, I can do that for you. And they've been one of my clients for 15 years. Fantastic. Let's go back to that one dealership when uh, you said the current vendor was halfway through a job. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then you, okay. So paint the picture on that one. Did you, did you just go back to, to check in with them again? You just happened to be there at the right time? or Do you remember that, that day? Yeah, that day when it actually happened, that, that was surely, surely God's graces for me to walk in and this guy just was frantic trying to find somebody, and I walked in in front of him and he says, okay, that's great. And so after that repair, I didn't – I've never – assumed that it was okay just because we did one job that we have got a constant invitation to come back. So I ask, I make it a point of asking anytime I talk to a used car manager, is it okay? I mean, part of my service is I'll walk your inventory for you and find out what you have. I'm sure you probably know what you have, but if you'd like, we can another set of eyes on it. And he said, absolutely, come back next week. We'll, we'll, do, we'll go from there. Um, one of the things that I've found is extremely important because the 
another facet of the used car business is that managers have a tendency to be mobile as well. Um, they go to different stores because of different pay plans or they think there's grass and greenery on the other side of the hill, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. So anytime a new manager comes in to one of the stores that I've been servicing for any length of time, the first one of the first things I always ask them is I said, well, I'll introduce myself to you. This is on Mike Carter with Fiverr, and this is what we do, and I'm sure you know that. I said, I don't like to assume anything, so I'll be more than happy to try and earn your trust as well if you want me to continue to service your lot. And let them know that I'm not just arbitrarily going to say, okay, I'm the man. This is, you have to use me. That's not, I don't think that's the proper way to do it. Now, there have been times where that manager has said, you know, let me get acclimated. I'll let you know. Say, so you go back next week on my regular day and ask them. And there have been times where they've decided to say, no, you know, I don't need your services anymore. Whether they brought in their own guy, I don't always find that out. I don't know. But I've found that majority of that, I would estimate probably 80 to 90% of them will keep using me just because I gave them the option to choose, I think. Right. And that's, right. that's how it's played out, at least. Right. So, and... And walking the lot is, I mean, I, I have, is something that I do every day, every week, every year at every store I do. I walk the lot to this day. I mean, that's how you find your work. I mean, I've had a, a lot of managers that know their inventory like the back of their hand, and I've come up with something they didn't see, and they're always very happy about that and, and pleased with that. They see most of the work. But overall, and I hate to be judgmental or categorize people or anything like that, but most managers and even salesmen to that degree are really kind of sit back in their chair and don't want to have to really do more than they have to. So they're appreciative, maybe not even appreciative, but they're happy that someone else is willing to go out and look around and find out <laughs> if they need something done. You're, you're doing their job, part of their job for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, I, I want to I want to pause right here just because it, it, it's a big concept, and this is the concept of of walking the lot, and, and this is something that's I know been in Fiverr's history since day one. Mm -hmm. So, um, can you just step through the the entire process of you know driving up to a dealership? Um, how do you start to walk the lot? Do you just start doing it? Do you introduce yourself first, um, and? We, we should also pause and say this would be on a, on a dealership or, or a lot that you haven't done work for already. So this is kind of your foray into that dealership. Um, what, what are your first steps in, well, the first in, in thing walking that, yeah, the lot? The first thing with walking the lot, that is actually a byproduct of having, having developed a relationship with a used car manager and they're accepting your services. Okay. I don't. I've never gone into a, a car dealership and walked their inventory first, and then gone in and tried to sell them on my business. I, okay. I I'm not sure that that's not something that could be advantageous. Uh, going in, you know, with your guns loaded and saying that I found this on your lot, you want me to fix it? But I've always gone in and just tried to develop a relationship with them. Now, the reason I say that, I'll go. Uh, is because for the most part, most of these guys know what you do. They're not, it's not their first walk in the park either. So when you're coming in as a vendor, they know that you've got some type of service you're trying to sell. They know that. And so most of them, I should say, not all of them. You get some newbies that are trying to figure things out and you have to hold their hand a little bit, which is okay. And it's actually better that way because once you get their if you get in there first and you get, you can train them the way you want them. <laughs> but, okay. um, but I have never gone immediately to walking the inventory until I've actually developed a relationship with a manager and he's uh, expecting my daily or my weekly visit and he knows I'm going to be there. Um, so that's how I progressed and that by going in and meeting the managers, introducing myself, explaining to them what I could do. And if there's any questions or concerns about why they should use us, that's the time that I, you know, 
explain to them our products are, are water-based and they're not solvent-based and our top coats are, are higher standards than the industry standards and things like that that give you give us the opportunity to sell our, our, our wares. But then after that is done, that's when I, on my regularly scheduled visits, I go to the dealership and immediately walk the inventory and make my list out, then approach the manager and say, this is what I found this week, which ones do you want to do? Again, I try to make sure that I always keep the manager in a position where he feels like he's got the authority and the power, which, which I do, but I let them always make those decisions. I never arbitrarily fix a car unless the manager says it's a go. Right. So okay. that's, uh, that's how we walk the inventory now, and that's, again, that's after we've actually agreed that we're going to be their, their vendor and so on and so forth. Okay. All right. We've heard it both ways. We've heard it uh, your way in terms of, of first establishing the relationship before you start walking around. We've heard other uh, franchisees just go for it. <laughs> so it, it's yeah. almost a bit of a, a bit of a personality thing um, in in the franchisee. It's, it'd also be a big personality thing in the manager of, of the dealership as well. You know, right. um, some stranger just walking around arbitrarily. You know that that may raise red flags. Others wouldn't care. Um, so the, the, the takeaway here is probably whatever works for you, you know, in terms of what you're more comfortable with or what, what you feel would work best in that particular dealership. I would say, let me add one thing before we leave that point. The thing that strikes me in that whole conversation, uh, and one thing about what I have found, again, going back to empowering that manager to be in charge, so to speak, mm-hmm. most of them have a very, very, very um, uh, low tolerance to someone who thinks they know more than they do. So if you go in, in my opinion, if you go in mm-hmm. with a clipboard full of cars that have needs to be repaired and you show it to used car manager and he doesn't know squat about what he's got in his inventory because he sits in front of the computer all day and just tries to make deals or buy cars from the auctions or whatever, you're, you're embarrassing him. You're, you're putting him down by having him not know what he already should know, almost making him feel guilty to a certain degree. Right. Is, is what, and that, that's probably, I would say, more the, the, the norm than the exception. Uh-huh. So I've never felt that I don't want to show him up. You know, I don't want to go in there and tell them, you know, this is your inventory and you don't know that you have these issues. See, if I've met the guy first, talk to him, and he's expecting me to find that form because I know he doesn't know his inventory, that's okay. Yeah, I go in the first time I've ever been there and say, hey, look, you've got all this crap you need to fix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's we, we, my take on it. No, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Let's go back to um, when you talked about uh, – visiting and revisiting car lots. How many other car lots do you think you did that with, you know, over the course of four or six months going back and back and back until work finally came to you? And um, I'm wondering, are you still doing that today? You know, being in your 16th year, um, I I imagine this is still a regular practice for you, but can you just step us through some, some numbers in terms of how many times or how many dealerships you've done this with? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I could actually, I wish I had thought about it, I would have brought my first day planner back in the day, and I could have told you exactly, because I have it written down, back okay. in 2001, but um, when we first started, I made a practice of going to anywhere between three to five stores a day, uh, now, okay. albeit at that point in time, it wasn't it kind of goes back on what I said earlier. I was going to the smaller independent lots as well, trying to find anybody that would let me do work for them because I had to put a gallon of milk on the table. I had a one, three, and a five-year-old. So there wasn't an option not to have work. That's very, very motivating, by the way. So, That's the best kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to the course of the first six months, we developed – uh, a relationship with five 
stores. When I say a relationship, that means I was going back every week. Okay. By the end of our first year, we had doubled that to 10. By the end of our second year, we had doubled that. And to go back to your point, uh, your question about do I still do that, I have three new stores in the last five months. I still do it when I get the opportunity. And is it the same process? I mean, it's you walking in, interviewing Absolutely. yourself. Yeah, Absolutely. nothing's changed that way, right? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that kind of leads into the next question. What, what has changed in your eyes from 2001 up until today in, in dealerships? Has much has changed in the way they do business? Um, or um, are a lot of the concepts similar? It's, uh, there have been some changes, and I wouldn't actually call them dramatic. Um, I think one of the biggest shifts that I've seen, of course, it's probably in, it's not every industry and every person, it, of course, is the, the technology, advancements in technology, um, makes their job a lot easier to a certain degree and a lot, but what it does do is they have a lot of these, a lot of my stores have developed an internet sales staff where right. you're taking people who were previously maybe, you know, salespeople on the floor or whatever, and now they're constantly making contacts on, on the Internet. But what that's actually done is it actually has created another department, if you would, within each dealership that I, have, I, I service, where at the beginning you basically had to go and find a used car manager, uh, and that's who you dealt with. Now, as, as a side note on that premise, real quick, I also make it a point and have and still do to this day is that after I have introduced myself to the used car manager and start working with that manager, within a couple of weeks, I'll automatically introduce myself to the service manager. Okay. And not only that, I try and stop off and drop off every one of their service riders. I give them a card so that because if they get a a customer who comes in for a oil change and a tire rotation and wants their leather seat fixed, well, those guys don't have any idea who to call. If they don't, and they go to their service manager and ask them, at least the service manager will have the information. But if the service writer has it at their fingertips, you're more likely to be called than not. So, so back to our sales. Um, the the inventory process of posting all their inventory online has, of course, made your, your, your couch shoppers a lot easier to go look for a car. You don't have to go out and kick tires like they used to. You could shop online at 15 different stores in an hour if you wanted to. So they have a whole new staff that, that monitors that. And it's not mm -hmm. huge by any shape or form, but what it does is sometimes an inventory manager or inventory salesperson will know something about something in the inventory that the used car manager didn't know. It basically just gives you another set of eyes and ears to go to. Let's, uh, we said that we'd circle back to pricing and billing. So do you adjust your prices uh, when trying to get your your foot in the door on a new dealer, will you offer discounts off the start and then obviously increase those over time? And has your pricing changed a lot over the years? Let's just explore that a little bit. I will tell you that to this day, pricing still is, is not something that's set in stone. Some of it is, but it, it's very, very, it's still very, very difficult to judge that, those type of scenarios. Um, to answer your first question, I do not go into a dealership and give them a discount. Okay. I tell them did what... You, did ahead. you ever? I'm just wondering, back, back in the early days, was that a practice or did you stay away I from think that? I, I think I probably did because I was hungry. And not okay. that I'm not hungry now, but I was starving. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 I think I probably adjusted them early on more so because I really, you're really not sure when you're first starting out really what the market is until you start mm -hmm. to ask questions. I, I mean, again, I go back to, I remember going to a, 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 a Buick store and, and the guy asked me to fix a perforated leather seat and I told him it was 100 bucks and he was like, you crazy? 
and just his reaction and so on and so forth. I said, so I stood my ground there, didn't get that job nor that dealership at that time. And then my next dealership, I rethought it and, and figured out maybe, you know, there's something that's, that's too high. And, it, and at that time, it probably wasn't. But I have found that along those same lines, over the years, the market value really hasn't changed that dramatically as for as what you can get as far as a price for a repair. Okay. Um, now, but what it did, that scenario did, I did go back and start, as you just mentioned, I started at a, at a lower price with most of my stores I was getting work from. And after you get our first couple of stores, you get the kind of concept in your mind that, well, if they're accepting this price is, Probably, you know, if you're getting more than one store is accepting your pricing structure, then probably that's not too far off the mark. So uh, I have, in fact, started at a lower rate and then slowly increased it here and there. Okay. But Makes sense. To, this, to this day, I still find that the market value, and the reason being is because, and you had asked, you had talked about, We'll talk about competitors somewhere down the line, but they play a part in this scenario because I have anywhere between uh, six and ten competitors, and I'll and I would probably say at least half of those competitors are what I call independents. Again, they're people that working out of their house. Not that we're not, we have, but they're not associated with a, a, an organization, and and they you know they every repair they do is thirty five bucks. And, of course, it lasts for three weeks and then falls apart, but the dealerships don't always know that or, or and really sometimes don't care. They're trying to sell the car, whether, you know, it's done professionally as I prefer to do it or if it's done by someone who's just, uh, you know, putting a wad of chewing gum in a hole. So because there are still competitors, if you want to call them that, that are willing to still try to get cheap work, so to speak. I, I can't go to a, an extent where I know I'm going to alienate my, my customer by going to a price that I may think I'm worth, if that makes sense. Okay. Now, okay. I do change my structure. I, I certainly charge my repairs for my Rolls-Royce dealership a lot more than I do for a Chevy store. Sure. Same with the Lamborghini, my Lamborghini stores, my BMW stores, and my Mercedes stores. They are they are, pay a higher number, and only because, yeah. of course, their products are higher priced to start with, and uh, they're, the people who are buying those types of vehicles are already in a situation where, even if they may or may not like it, they know that going in. Yeah, yeah, economies of scale kick in for sure, right? It's just a different yeah. different ball game. Yeah. But um, how do you answer the question of competitors saying, I mean, if you, if you quote $75 on a job and someone, you know, says to you, well, you know, Johnny can do it for 35 how do you handle that? That's really pretty easy for me because I, I throw it back on, instead of making it look like I'm a genius, I just, I tout our products. Um, you can quote stats and facts about the testing for the outside agencies, the Weizenbeek tester, and, and um, so on and so forth, and um, even FAA burn tests for our, you know, if you, you know, whatever, just telling them that the products that we used are, 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 are like our color code system is in-house, it's made, we make it ourselves, it's always the same. We don't have to go searching for different products here and there. Uh, they're consistent. They've been tested. Uh, they are they are more in, have a longer endurance time frame than most other products that we know of uh, okay. and so I don't make it about me I make it about our our system and our products and that and tell them you know I don't just go in and spray color over a cut in a, in a hole which a lot of the other competitors do and that's why they're charging $35 they're really not fixing something they're just making it look color, the same color we actually have a repair system. We actually fix what you have to make it look as close as we can to the original product. 
So you're getting a service much more out of our service, and so it's going to come at a different cost. Okay, good one. I like that. Put it put it back on the quality of the products in the system. Let let that do the talking for you. Yeah, that's, that's as right. well as I, I also try and and tell them that you know as far as your approach and, and how your, your appearance, of course, of course speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dress appropriately. I, I, I also inform them that, you know, if, you know, we're working on a, this is a new car, uh, this is a new store that I'm working with, I'll come every week on Tuesday between 3 and 5 if that works for you. I will be here every week at that time frame. Does that work for you? that fits your schedule. What day are you off, by the way? So I don't want to come on your day off and put it on somebody else. I'd rather deal with you. And again, deflecting the things from, from me personally more to making him, him or her empowered to make decisions that benefit them. Makes sense. So make it about the service, make it about the, the yep. quality of product. And um, yep. the, yeah, that's, that's good advice. Circle back to uh, billing quickly. So when you're going back, let's say every other week or every month, whatever your frequency is to a dealership, um, what does if we we're just to talk turkey, you know, in terms of individual repair prices? I mean, if you were to go in and, and repair a, a three bolsters in one shot on a dealership, what does that do to your pricing as opposed to let's say a one-off retail bolster repair? from a lead off the internet. What's the difference in pricing for, for dealerships doing more kind of volume-based as opposed to one-off pricing? Um, I consider it or I term it and call it wholesale pricing for dealerships. Wholesale, so what okay. I do, what I do with that is I, I have a retail structure. Um, as far, well, let me clarify, just when, if I go to a dealership and I do three bolsters at that dealership, in three different cars, each one of those cars still gets the same price. Okay. But they're they're already getting a wholesale price for the work, no matter how many cars it is. I don't go in and give them a volume discount because I'm doing five cars that day. Okay. Now, the reason being is because that goes back to, again, what, what I established from the beginning moving forward. They understand that they're already getting a price that is below market value, so to speak, if it was a retail car. And they understand that because they do it all the time when they get trade-ins. I mean, they take a trade-in, they give a customer $2,000, they put $500 in the car and sell it for $5,000 and make $2,500 profit. That's their business. That's what they do. So they understand the fact is that the work that we do and the pricing structure that we have on a retail basis will give them a much better price than that, but it is per car. So if I do three leather repairs, yeah, if I do three leather repairs, those three leather repairs each get an individual uh, price, but the, it's, they're not marked. I don't mark them down for that type of uh, dis- like a volume discount just because I'm going to do three cars. They've already okay. got a volume. They've already got a discount from the get-go. Understood. Can, can we talk specifics in terms of you know what would you charge for a typical bolster repair? in a three-year-old Tahoe for a lead off the internet as opposed to going into a dealership? What's the difference between resale and wholesale for you? 150 for off the internet one time, 95 at our dealership. Got it. Okay. So roughly 30, 30% or so discount. Right, exactly. Roughly. I, 30, okay. Yep, about, right around 30%. And again, the reason being is because I'm going to – the, the premises that I'm going to be doing two or three cars or five or six cars at that dealership versus one-offs, like you say. Now, having uh, just to make sure we're on the same wavelength, if I go into one of my regular dealerships and I only have one car that day, I don't jack the price up. It's still there, ninety-five dollars. Okay. It's just that's part of business. I may go in there next week and do five cars. But if I go in this week and there's only one, they get the ninety-five dollars. Right. Keep keep the long view in focus. Right. It's all about. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And that's another. That's also why I don't really just uh, do a lot of jockeying with prices because it's 
upholster or it's on a seat or the only time I charge a little bit more is if it's a perforated leather because you do have to do more work um, um, and or if I'm doing multiple seats in one car then we will add you know like twenty five dollars for each additional seat and that's right. again and they understand the concept of time and labor and materials you're going to you know that's if you're going to go in and do one seat you, you, that takes a lot less time than three so, but, um, let, let's, say, let's just dig one level deeper on this concept of wholesale pricing um, yeah. because, I mean, even doing $95 repairs or $75 repairs or whatever the case may be uh, for dealerships in the automotive space, if you're doing perpetual work, I mean, meaning you're going back every other week or every month, you're actually, you're making really good money at that because you're on site anyhow you've got your tools there as it is um so even though it's it's on paper looks like a discounted price you're making way more money per hour doing wholesale work for automotive than let's say driving 45 minutes each way to a retail job um, having to quote over email or over the phone um at 150 bucks when you break down the per hour take home, there's way more money in, in offering absolutely. wholesale pricing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, and how, how fast can you do three bolster repairs? I was just getting ready. I was just getting ready to tell you that I can I can knock out a standard uh, your your 2013 Tahoe with abrasions and some scratches or a little bit of flaky peeling on the kidney bolster. I knock out a bolster in about half an hour, 35 minutes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, an hour and a half to two hours, I'll do three cars. Okay, guys, let's take a moment, stop and pause and really break down what Michael's talking about. So jot down with me on a piece of paper the difference between doing retail work, which is great, of course, and then also doing wholesale work for dealerships. So... In the scenario we talked about, an inquiry comes in, let's say, through your website for a bolster repair uh, from, a, from a consumer, and we spend half an hour either through phone, email, or a combination thereof lining up the work, so doing the quote, uh, talking to the customer about time, schedules, etc. We quote 150 bucks for the job and get the job, but it takes us half an hour to work that out. Let's say we've got 30 or 45 minute drive time each way. Let's just round that off to an hour. And then we have an hour to do the actual job. So between getting our kid out of the van, interacting with the customer and whatnot, we have another hour. So total input time is two and a half hours for that $150 job. So if you break that down per hour, that's about 60 bucks an hour. So 60 bucks an hour to do one job at 150 bucks on the retail side. On the other column, when we talk about wholesale pricing for dealerships, while the optics don't look good at discounting jobs to 95 bucks, so Michael talks about the same repair that he would do for 150 for a retail customer, he discounts that about 30% down to 95 bucks. But the difference is he's on site anyhow. So he's visiting this dealer regularly anyhow. He's scheduled that into his week or his month, whatever it may be. And he said that he can knock out three bolster repairs, 30 minutes each. So he's got an hour and a half to do those three repairs. And let's account for another half hour of filling out paperwork, doing the invoice, interacting with the customer on site. So let's say total in, uh, input time is two hours. So 285 bucks, 95 times three, 285 in sales, two hours of input. That brings our per hour rate to 142.50. So when we compare 60 bucks an hour on the retail side to 142.50, that's almost two and a half times more revenue per hour doing discounted wholesale rates for dealerships. The difference is remarkable. Even if we were discounting to $75 for those bolster repairs and we knocked out three of them in an hour and a half, again, another half hour for interacting with the client, taking our kit out, et cetera, that still brings our per hour rate to $112.50, which is almost double the rate on the retail side. 
So when you stop and think about it, don't be fooled by the discounted rates for automotive because when we account for volume, it makes all the difference. Cheers. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I use the analogy going back to when I first started. My kids were, were little tykes and we're putting a gallon of milk on the table. Now it's college tuition, my friend. So <laughs> I'm more for college tuition than a gallon of milk. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all the same motivation, though, isn't it? It's funny. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just a couple more uh, things to ask you about before we wrap up. But um, sure. being in Virginia, being in Virginia, uh, when we talk about weather conditions, you guys more or less get it all. It, it, what I mean by that is extreme heat to uh, rain. Uh, you do get snow from time to time. Uh, but you have to deal in, in all elements. And yep. when you're doing automotive work, what does that mean for you? You know, at what point do you stop <laughs> if you do <laughs> um, you know, from, from, a, from a personal level? And, and let's also talk about products as well. You know, how, how do you deal with all the conditions? Well, you, you certainly, oh, I am. I'm exposed. Of course, I'm exposed. I, I go out every day. Um, we, we, when I say we again, it's my wife and my family. We take basically three weeks a year vacation. I take the last week of the year I close for Christmas um, because most of the time it's pretty slow anyways as far as the car lots go mm -hmm. and my kids are out of school. Um, I have a daughter that's still in high school so when I say out of school and the boys come home from college they're on their winter break and Diana also is a teacher when, when she's not doing the books for us. She's a teacher and she does books for us on the, other, on the off time. So everybody's home. And, that, and that's what part of the, one of the most important things in, from the get-go that we felt that Firebenny would give us the opportunity was to be in control of our schedule to the point where we would be able to spend family time and quality family time together, especially when they were younger. It's still good now, but it, it's not as much because they are certainly into their own things and that kind of situation. But um, we take a week off at of spring break, and we take a week in the summer and go camping. Sometimes we go camping at spring break as well. And in the summertime, if we get a chance to break away for a three- or four-day weekend, take the trailer out, we'll camp a little bit now uh, as well. So the rest of the year, I'm on the street every day, period. Okay. I go to work from 8.30 to 5.30 every day. That's my schedule. And my customers know that, and they expect it. Um, in extreme uh, temperatures in the summertime, it can get to be 90 to 100 with about 60 to 80% humidity. It's like working in a sauna. Uh, in the wintertime, as you said, like today, uh, not overly dramatic temperature-wise. It's uh, 48 or 49, but we're dealing with a 20-mile-an-hour wind with gusts up to 40. So it's challenging. On a personal level, the biggest thing for me is to make sure that you dress properly and... Uh, you know, in the wintertime, if I have to, I'm not averted to throwing on a pair of long johns and going to work. That's not a big deal. You know, you wear, you wear a couple of layers and uh, make sure you've got a, a good coat. You've got protection for your hands and your ears and go to work. Um, as far in the summertime, now in the summertime, I do wear shorts and, the, and I wear cargo shorts, nice shorts. I don't wear cut off jeans with shredded holes in them and the pockets hanging out or whatever. Uh, uh, and in the summertime, I wear golf shirts or polo shirts, whatever you want to call them. And in the wintertime, uh, we have embroidered some sweatshirts ourselves. And we also, I've got, uh, you know, some of our fiber new blue button-down shirts that I wear. Um, so personally for me, it's, uh, it certainly is making sure that you know, I, I stay hydrated in the summer, and uh, as well in the winter, but more so in the summer. And you dress properly, and, and you go to work. Uh, as far as our products go, certainly in both summer and winter, I carry some of our products that are heat sensitive in a separate igloo cooler so that they're protected from either extreme hot or, or extreme cold. Um, I found that most of the time I don't go out if it's below freezing. 
I mean, if it's 32, 30, no, it's a Fahrenheit. I don't know what that works yeah. out to be Celsius. Sorry. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, that's zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if it's zero or two degrees, uh, I'm still going out. Um, if I find, you know, work to do on a lot that has to be done, I'll start the car up, run the heater, pull my stuff that I need for that particular repair inside the vehicle. Um, I, I take a, a ceramic space heater with me and plug that in and set it in the back of the bed of my truck so that it keeps my products warm. Um, I just close the tailgate and the, the lift hatch on the, on the shell and keep those closed as often and as long as possible. Run an extension cord out, out, out the back with the air hose and go to work. Okay. But temperature-wise, yeah, temperature I, you know, I go out every day. Nothing stops you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Michael, this has been a, 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 an absolutely awesome chat. Um, I'd like to cap it off with, with a question, and, and hopefully we can kind of sum up the, the whole hour or so we've been talking. But for someone wow. looking, looking at uh, – yeah, no pressure. Oh, wow. <laughs> for someone, for someone <laughs> looking at <laughs> – you're in the hot seat now, man. Um, <laughs> For someone looking at breaking into automotive, um, what is, what's your number one piece of advice? If you're going to go into automotive, you have to have a turtle shell. Okay. Um, regardless of what polls are taken and what the you know people's perceptions are. The car business is still, it, it has always been and made its reputation on basically haggling and who do you trust and how much can you get out of what they're giving. So the trust factor is extremely, extremely hard to attain. And so you're going to get a lot of guys that are very temperamental, moody. Uh, they're also going to be very, very guarded. Uh, so you have to go in with a, a hard shell knowing the fact is going to be very prominent that you're going to get told no a lot more than you're going to get told yes. But one thing you have to temper that with is you have to, no matter how you feel or what you think, you have to be absolutely happy. Not positive. You have to be positive too, but you have to be happy. Because when they see you and you're walking in and you're happy and you're smiling about introducing yourself and you're smiling when they tell you to go take a hike, that leaves an impression. And that's when they call you back a year later and say, hey, happy Mike, come and do my work for me. Right. So always, always have to have an excellent, happy frame of mind and a hard shell. Happy frame of mind and a hard shell. I like it. Yep. <laughs> good, good closing. Good closing remarks. <laughs> there you go. Uh, sir, thank you very much for your time. Uh, ah, it's always a pleasure it. talking with you, Jesse. Yeah, man. Anytime. Okay. Hopefully, we okay. can help. Okay. Thank you, sir. Have a hey, good day. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.